The scripture this morning will come from Romans 8, 9 through 11. You can follow along in your pew Bibles on page 944. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The word of the Lord. In 2008, a 16-year-old boy called Jimmy Mizzen went to a local store in a nice suburb of a major city. Moments later, another boy called Jake Fari entered the same store. Fari had a history, uh, including taking part in a knife point hold-up and actually robbing the younger boy of the same Mizzen family. Jimmy Mizzen, however, is six foot four and almost 200 pounds, though he's only 16, and he will not be pushed around by Jake Fari. A fight begins. Jake Fari goes out the store. He grabs a road sign. He attacks Jimmy Mizzen. He picks up a glass dish and he throws it at Jimmy Mizzen's head. According to the lawyer at the trial, the whole incident took no longer than three minutes. And by the end of those three minutes, there's a shard of glass that slashed Jimmy Mizzen's throat. And Jimmy Mizzen's brother arrives just in time to hold him as he bleeds out and dies in his arms. Saturday. Monday morning, Margaret Mizzen, Jimmy Mizzen's mother, she has to speak to the media. What do you say? What do you say? She began like this. I feel so, so sorry for their, his parents. I don't feel anger. I feel for them. I really do. News reports at the time came to the conclusion that Margaret's public act of forgiveness that Monday morning prevented race riots. She is a person of faith. Actually, there's a cafe that has been started in uh, Jimmy's uh, memorial. It's called the Cafe of Good Hope. And it stands right where he was murdered. Life from death, the power of Christ. Sometimes we Christians are accused of only being about heaven after life, but having no power to deal with injustice and pain and suffering in this world. Well, the text we have in front of us gives the lie to that statement. Actually, we can have invincible confidence, even in the face of human frailty and death and suffering and pain, because of the life of the Spirit. This is The meaning of Romans chapter 8 and verse 10. We can have invincible confidence, even the face of human frailty, because of the life of the Spirit. That is what I will be saying this morning. First, human frailty. We will consider that. We must. This is the life 
the reality in which I live, in which you live, in which we all live. We have to have an answer to suffering and pain and death, otherwise we have no answer. First, human frailty, but then second, the life of the Spirit that allowed a Margaret Mizzen to give forgiveness and for the cafe of good hope. The power of the gospel today against suffering and pain and mortality and frailty. First, human frailty. Second, the life of the Spirit. First, human frailty. Romans 8 verse 10. Your body is dead because of sin. It's not exactly a prosperity gospel message. But when we read the Bible, the Bible does not Photoshop away the reality of human frailty. Our body is dead. You've heard of the ultimate statistic, one in one people die. You have a headache, you get a backache, you want to play basketball for the school team and then you tear your ACL and the opportunity is gone. This is the reality of the human experience. You try hard at your tests and your exams and then you're sick and you can't think to the best of your ability and you don't get the grade that you feel you deserved. Body is dead. There is a sentence hanging over us where our dearest dreams are often become nightmares. And Paul says there is a reason for this. He says it is because of sin. In other words, in his cosmic view of the reality in which we exist, there is a sentence for human rebellion, our rebellion, the rebellion of every human since the beginning, which is separation from God's goodness, therefore separation from the source of life, therefore we exist under a sentence of death, Damocles' sword, and there's a gradual step towards physical death too. I um, sometimes catch up on various um, you know, magazines like Forbes, and Forbes publishes annual lists of the world's richest people. Bill Gates is top of the list again for the 16th time. You should give someone else a go, Bill, I think. <laughs> but uh, Forbes has other lists as well, and I was uh, amused to discover this week that in 2015, Forbes published a list of top, I kid you not, here we go, top-earning dead celebrities. Michael Jackson is number one. Elvis Presley... The king of rock only comes in number two. Of course, Forbes, uh, Forbes doesn't hide the fact that these celebrities are in fact dead. It says it's a list of top earning dead celebrities. But that it records these earnings in the here and now and attributes them to dead people does Photoshop away the fact that being dead is, well, being dead. Listen to what it says about Michael Jackson. The king of pop has earned nine figures every four years since his death in 2009. Has he?
No, Jackson has not earned a single cent since he died. He died. It seems to me our culture today with its constant icons of celebrities from Marilyn Monroe to Michael Jackson needs to relearn the inscription on a sculpture of great Egyptian pharaoh Ozymandias, words made famous by the poet Shelley. Here they are. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level stands, stretch far away, nothing but dust and dust. So much for Ozymandias. See, I'm afraid even us lesser mortals, non-celebrities like you and me, we can succumb to double speak about human frailty. Here's the most common today. If you exercise for a certain amount of time over a certain amount of days and eat a certain kind of diet, you too will have a body to die for. And your body will die. I know this is not the standard message of a feel-good prosperity gospel. But it is the reality that the Bible insists that we face. Let me put it like this, my friends. Unless you face up to your frailty in the present and in the pleasant light of a Sunday morning... When Saturday comes and it's a dark tragedy that faces someone in your family or you yourself, where will your strength come from to believe? The Bible will not allow us to be conned by the super spiritual myth of some peddlers of prosperity today. Say the right words, utter the right devotions with just the right special phrasing. Believe enough, be positive enough, then you'll be blessed without suffering. But Paul says, your body is dead. Now, of course, we must not fall into the opposite trap to become morbid. All Hallow's Eve or Halloween is followed by All Saints Day today. We're not like Vladimir Nabokov who said, the cradle rocks above an abyss and common sense tells us that existence is a glimmer between two eternities of darkness. We are not like that. We're like General William Wallace whose last words to his wife at the Battle of Shiloh in 1862 were, I will see you in heaven. So we face the reality of human frailty, but then we quickly move on to be overwhelmed with joyful confidence at a far greater reality, a reality that Paul insists actually impacts us experientially now. Even the most authentic, unvarnished, real frailty of the human condition that 
I could describe to you that you could possibly imagine even that cannot long leave the Christian downcast because we have the life of the Spirit. If indeed, or as we might translate, if indeed as is true because you are in Christ, you have the life of the Spirit. Like a spring within, not like a, not like a bucket that you can exhaust, but a spring that is inexhaustible. Life. So human frailty, our body is dead, but we can have now invincible confidence even in the face of that frailty because of second, the life of the Spirit. Now look with me at the second half of verse 9. And depending on your translation, you'll find it is described in different ways by different kinds of translations. And this is because the interpretation of this Second half of verse 9 is not entirely obvious. Here are the questions that you may have as you heard it read. Uh, verse 10, excuse me. Second half of verse 10. Here are the questions that you may have that um, others have asked as well. Does Paul refer to our human spirit or the Holy Spirit? Does he teach that the Spirit makes us alive or the Spirit is life? Do we attain this living power because of our moral effort of active righteousness or because of Christ's righteousness reckoned to us by faith? Listen to how John Calvin explained. Paul's meaning is that although sin condemns us to death insofar as the corruption of our first nature still remains in us, yet the Spirit of God is victorious. Or one contemporary scholar put it like this. Paul is teaching that the believer, although still bound to an earthly mortal body, has residing within him or her the spirit, the power of new spiritual life. So in my view, the context of this verse makes it clear that Paul is referring to the Holy Spirit and the life is the living power of that Holy Spirit The power which raised Christ from the dead in us. And this living power of the Holy Spirit is at work since, as is indeed true for you, is at work in those who truly believe in Christ and are made righteous with his righteousness. Let me put it like this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. Christian, the spirit life. Now, perhaps you wonder whether that is practical or realistic. I want to tell you about one of the giants of American Christianity. His uh, wife, Annie, suffered a debilitating illness which most people think occurred on their honeymoon and lasted throughout the rest of their marriage. Ever afterwards, B.B. Warfield left home only briefly to teach class so he could care for his sick wife. I love this about those who knew Warfield. They said he had only two interests, his work and Mrs. Warfield. One Princeton graduate tells me that he discovered that lectures at the time were actually carefully calibrated in length so Warfield could teach without ever having to be away from his wife, Annie, for longer than two hours. 
The whole structure was set around his wife's illness and his care for his wife. And in the providence of God, unable to travel or do anything else other than his work and his wife, B.B. Warfield became what at least one authority judged to be a theologian, perhaps without peer, certainly unsurpassed in all the English-speaking world. Such is the life of the Spirit even in the body of death. It's much more than just for the aged, you know. A son whose father praises him too little or disciplines him too little is as much subject to the frailty of the human condition as a grandfather with stooped back. As we are in Christ, the life of the resurrection power of Christ is in us. The spirit life, not just pie in the sky when you die. It's a power, he is a power of life that can make you brave, Take risks, have confidence of your access to God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. Have confidence in the power of the gospel that his word will not return to him empty. I love the story of one Wheaton person who perhaps is one of the preeminent examples of this bravery in recent years. He was on a plane on an infamous day, and he recited with his passengers the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23, and then in words well known to many in Wheaton, Todd Beamer said, let's roll. Where does that power come from? Where does the power come from for a Margaret Mizzen to forgive those who killed her son? Where does the power come from to live as if The spirit is in us, the spirit of life. Did you know that in the 19th century when missionary survival rates in Africa meant the likelihood of a missionary ever returning was not likely? Mission agencies would ship on the boat with the missionary his possessions and his coffin. You know, you're going to need your suitcase and you're probably going to need your coffin, so we'll send them both with you. Lord bless you, off you go. And they went. Now maybe you'll never face a mortal threat on an airplane. Maybe you will never have a wife or a husband with a debilitating illness that you will have to nurse. But today we all need bravery. We need the spirit of life in our postmodern relativistic age. C.S. Lewis was once challenged by a student that his views were outmoded ethics and actually we all know everything is relative now. C.S. Lewis did this. He left the room. He boiled some water on a stove, returned with that kettle of scalding water or as they say over here, water, and he held it above the student's head. And the student was shocked at this apparent threat. But Lewis had made his point. In practice, not everything is relative. Where comes the courage to make that kind of point today? 
John Stott once remarked that we are not to blame meat when it goes off because that is what happens when salt is not applied. Where comes the confidence for us to apply this gospel to issues of our culture, issues of justice today? Best-selling author Malcolm Gladwell in his book Tipping Point makes the case that it requires only 2% of a community to get involved to make a difference. Where comes the confidence to pray to God to work in a small thing or in a big thing? To speak to a neighbor about Christ? To invest in the kingdom your time and your resources knowing that they are really his. Or to put it another way, could you, like Margaret Mizen, forgive a mortal wound because the spirit of life in you means that you know death is not the final reality and human frailty not the last word? spirit life. If you're in Christ, since as is indeed true for you, your body is dead, but your spirit is alive. The spirit life because of Christ's work on the cross. I've always loved the um, song by musician Keith Green. He had a wonderful beard and flares that would hardly fit in the front door of Cottage Church. But he sang some wonderful, challenging words, and one which is on my alarm every time I have to get out of bed in the morning has these words. Jesus rose from the dead, and you, you can't even get out of bed. That makes me get up for my quiet time every time. (laughs) Seems a small thing, getting out of bed in the morning. Maybe that's your main challenge. Maybe it's something bigger. Perhaps you have a spouse, a husband, a wife who is disabled. And you struggle to believe that God has a plan for this. Would you remember B.B. Warfield and how God used that to make him a theologian, perhaps without peer? Maybe one day, one Saturday, you'll be faced with an impossible tragedy. Maybe one day you'll be faced with an injustice that you need to find the power to confront Would you remember that the spirit life is in you and be able to say, let's roll. You see, we Christians are neither materialists nor ascetics. We love God with our heart, soul, mind, and body. We are not like Buddhists who pretend that pain does not exist. Physical pain is still painful, but we Christians have a new attitude to pain because every stab of pain is contrasted by this song of life. The body is dead, 
It hurts. The life spirit in us. Song of life. And we Christians, we even have a distinct way of telling time. Do you know? Not to spring forward or fall back. Now the clock of our mortality, the human condition, it's the countdown to resurrection. There's a new movie about Steve Jobs. Jobs one time said this, remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. Perhaps good advice. But the Bible goes massively, joyfully, confidently further. Not just death, but the spirit life in us. We Christians... Those of us in Christ have His Spirit, the same power at work in us that raised Jesus from the dead. And so we can have invincible confidence, even in the face of all too real human frailty, Because of the life of the Spirit. Let us pray. Our Lord, we ask that you would give us this morning such confidence. So that we, when we leave this building, can be like a Margaret Mizzen and forgive those who have wounded us, a B.B. Warfield, and see the hand of the province of God in our circumstances, a Todd Beamer, and confront evil. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, we ask. In the name of Jesus, amen.